Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is Extreme Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the Dashing Duo, Derek and myself, Mike. And Derek, I've got some guests for us this week. Oh, boy. Hi. Our friends at October Coast uh, sent us a screener for uh, a new horror film. And uh, our one guest mm-hmm. is wearing the proper phrase, horror is queer. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you caught off guard but pleasantly caught off guard so joining us on the line we have chris dalpe yep very nicely done and wayne gazala gone solves yeah. <laughs> and they're from the movie death drop gorgeous which i want to say is a for me is a halloween meets priscilla queen of the desert meets thelma and louise spot on well done i know that's the coolest description i've heard of it so far okay so truly how spot on is that i mean you could throw in a lot of other elements uh for other cameos but i think uh in in essence you hit a lot of what makes the movie tick the the only other way i would have gone would have been halloween meets tu wong fu meets Thelma and Louise. <laughs> I, I Priscilla also, works better. I would also say maybe throw in a, a little touch of John Waters in there as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think John Waters um, in a lot of the, his early kind of camp and horror, especially like Serial mm-hmm. Mom, I think really informed what we were doing with the genre. Um, anyone who watches it will probably realize that we don't take ourselves too seriously, but there's enough biting sarcasm <laughs> alongside the grotesque horror of the actual film that uh, John Waters will always be our daddy. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> I'm going to start off with the obvious question. Is is there a lot of queer gay horror film out there? I know you guys said queer is more the, the right direction to go. Um, yeah. And I, again, forgive me for being kind of scatterbrained. Parvit's still recovering from COVID from back in August. Parvit is still, like we talked about before show, just not knowing the right terminology because well, Derek and I are not in that circle yeah circle's the word i want to use even though i've been in entertainment and i have 
a lot of friends from that circle, I still tiptoe because I, I don't know what to say. So I appreciate the pre-show conversation being uh, saying, you know, this is more the direction we want to go with it. That's why I said, you know, gay, but queer. Were, are y'all one of the first to hit queer horror or, or is there a lot out there? And we just don't know it. I would, I would say, um, just a couple points to that, because I do really appreciate the question. I think it's really important. Uh, the, idea, the idea of what, what is queer, and I think queer encompasses a lot of different identities. That is, that is gender, that is sexuality, but like queer as even just a lens and w- which you look at the world. Um, there's a lot of like queer theory and queer art and uh, queer politics and queer music. It's it's a lens in which you can look at the world that isn't just uh, straight and gay and just um, male and female. It's a way that you can look at the world that's a little bit more fun and interesting, I would say. Um, but we did not create the genre. I think queer horror goes back to even all of those John Water films that we were just okay. speaking about. Uh, I think Serial Mom is a specific critique on like heteronormativity and like straight people and uh uh, sexual prudence. Um, and there's a lot of fun ones that are out there right now. There's like Killer Unicorn. There's um, there's a Hellbent, which is a vampire one. I, Wayne is way more of a horror movie buff than me, so he could probably reference a lot more. Now, what, what? Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's, I mean, there's, it, there, like, queer cinema has been going back for quite a bit. Um, I mean, so we're definitely not the first. Um, I was just watching the one that the name escapes me just fairly recently. The um, Susan Sarandon, The Hunger. Susan Sarandon. That oh, was yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That came out back in '81. Yeah, I, that was okay. I remember in high school staying up to watch that one on the weekends. <laughs> my, my daughter's going daddy and trying to show me something. It's a later, you know. <laughs> Um, I remember staying up that was along the lines of films that I would stay up to watch and I I will admit high school or even middle school a little more naive I mean there there was some exposure to the culture or to people from that culture at that time uh, because I was living in New York, upstate New York. Um, but it, it still just wasn't a an issue to me. You now, right. like, oh, Chris is black, Wayne's white. I mean, I'm sorry, revert. You know, that type of scenario. Like, color's not really it's that Chris. big of a, a deal unless it's brought out to be that big of a deal. Uh, some people, I... I, I knew they were gay in high school, but it didn't bother me. And I think part of that being in entertainment and seeing working on some shows, it's like, okay, well, everyone is still normal to some extent or normal in my world being in entertainment. So the hunger, I never considered a queer horror because there there's a lot of straight scenes in there as well that drew my attention as a adolescent high school kid. Um, so, I mean, to me, I just thought it was a great horror film. And I love The Hunger, even to this day. So now knowing it's labeled queer horror, it still doesn't bother me. It's still one of my favorite horror films from the 80s. By the end of this conversation, we're going to paint everything queer for you. It's going to be a whole new world, Mike. Man, uh, there goes Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, now, <laughs> what I think is really important. It sounds. Uh, it sounds to me, Mike. I was going to say it sounds to me, Mike, like you might have had a little less exposure than I have because I've grown up with with uh, some gay friends and and even I believe I 
I believe one of my friends used to be a lesbian as well. Not used to be, probably still is, but I haven't seen her in a very long time. Um, I, I will say so, definitely sophomore year of high school is when I acknowledged it more because that's when I really started to get into the industry. Right. I mean, I'm 51 mm-hmm. now. I've been in the industry over 35 years. I mean, I was a sophomore in high school when I got started. It was Ooh. sophomore to junior, summer of my sophomore and junior year that I got started in, in entertainment. I think what's so important about like just the representation of like gay characters, trans characters, because they've been in movies for like right. over like 40 years. Right. Is that um, the representation was usually written by people who didn't understand who those people were. Right. And so we were oftentimes painted as like the villains, the monsters, the things that you're supposed to be afraid of. And so I think to answer your early question is that I think what you're seeing right now is that there's a a lot of queer storytellers who are taking the narratives and they're writing the characters, they're creating the storylines. And so it's less of like, um, exploitative like in the way that in the same way like there was the black horror movement where it was made by a bunch of white directors and they were just selling tickets Mm. and making movies to exploit the genre um i think what we're seeing is uh, a new world where the storytellers are a bit more informed now i just want to make sure i i'm thinking the right hunger i do remember susan strain and then david bowie's in it as well david bowie catherine deneuve Okay. And then Serial Mom, we're talking the one with Kathleen Turner. Mm-hmm. All right. I did not realize that was a John Waters film. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I learned, think that's how he became like a really big household name. So I learned some new I things. I think it was Hairspray. Hairspray oh, yeah, was the big one, yeah. <laughs> not quite so hard. I was super gay because that character was, you know. <laughs> there was um, my friend, my, my friend and I do another podcast called Keepers of the Fringe where we review like old older B movies and stuff like that or lesser known movies and a while ago we did a movie called Dress to Kill oh my god yeah oh. I don't know if you guys have seen that one another great horror film with Bro. Michael Caine and Angie Dickinson and stuff and, and we, yeah. we kind of I don't know what are your thoughts on that film because we were kind of like I don't know that seems a little it's unfair it's, it's controversial. Um, I will probably yeah. say an unpopular opinion that given the time, given the fact that they were exploiting people's fear of transsexuals and given how it was right. handled, I'm not saying it was done well. It was actually done kinder than I would I would have expected them to do. I actually thought they were like kinder oh, okay. towards um, transsexual identities than they even were expected to be for the time. Because at the end of that movie, you get the very, like, Hannibal Lecter doctor who's going to break everything down for you right. in a way that was also right. still handled kind of gently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, yeah, help me out. Make sure I don't dig myself in a weird hole. No, I, I, don't, I, I don't think you dig yourself <laughs> in a hole. I think you're, uh, I think you're, you're, I think you're describing it accurately. Like, it, it does have some tones of it being problematic, especially since it's, I don't think it was written by a queer person at all, but um, I mean, for for that time in that movie, I think it was handled a little bit more delicately than 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 the world was treating queer people at that time. Yeah, fuck yeah. Okay, and, um, that's, that's and interesting. 
similarly with like Al Pacino's Cruising, that was like mm-hmm. that, that director got so much shit for that because he wanted to tell that story about like a serial killer in like the leather sex bars of gay New York, and right. Al Pacino starred in it, and they're like, "This is career suicide. What are you doing?" Um, and oddly enough, they still handled queer people as real people in that movie, like real characters, not just like punchlines. Let's see. When we did Dress to Kill, we were like, we kind of, it's interesting to hear that perspective on it because we were like, I don't know, that seems like, I mean, we, you know, we understand it was back in the 80s and stuff, but it still felt like they were going the wrong way with it to us. See, it, y'all could correct me on this. It almost seems like back in the day, it might have been acceptable because it's still, well, because it was still a lot of ignorance out there. So, and people just knew, okay, it's just entertainment. It's it's fictional. Whereas we look back at it now and we're like, eh, maybe they shouldn't have done it. And you can't change the past. Learn from the past. And something like that. You no, know, if you want to do a remake, take some of these that were potentially controversial and bring them um, stereotype correctness, I guess, would be the way to, the way to say it. Yeah, I mean, or or I mean, or, or, or representation correctness. Yeah, um, just to kill is complicated because there's no reason a trans character can't be a murderer. It was just that during the time, not many people knew anything about trans identity, and so you just associate like it with like a deviant psychopath right. murderer just for being trans. Right. right. Um, but uh, it's sense. funny, like it, that movie is so compared to um, Norman Bates and Psycho all of the time because, but like Norman Bates was in drag when he was killing people. He was dressed as his mother. He was right. taking on the persona of a woman. He was becoming his mother. Right. And that that runs that same line, like, right. and that's one of the greatest horror movies of all time. It is. So. But I wonder if, if because he's dressing up as his mother, people look at it a different way. Probably, probably because they're going to tie in the Oedipus complex with that. Right. Whereas with Dress to Kill, I mean, again, it's taking place during a time period where that culture wasn't nearly as accepted and still kind of dark corner, dark alley-esque, as opposed to now where it's more, it is more open. And it is more so to to say, oh, it was controversial back then, but it was during the time period where in society it still wasn't acknowledged and accepted. Yeah. And arguably, it's it's not we're not even there yet. Not to be too maudlin or dire because our movie is still a horror comedy. But like, you know, trans women of color are still the number one people murdered like it's we're not like in a place where everyone's like oh we get trans identities it makes sense to us like it's right it's pretty rough right. so rep- representation in media rarely means that like our cultures are up to date <laughs> and like everyone's like on the same page like <laughs> to even assume that like all gay people are super homogenous in how they think like there's still a lot of racism. There's still a lot of transphobia in the gay community, and that's what our movie really? like expresses a lot. That's like part of um, Wayne's character in Death Drop Gorgeous is constantly being berated with microaggressions and racist like attacks from the gay community. Um, and so right. we we're we're kind of trying to tell a story about what it's like to be an outsider, even within a marginalized outsider community. 
So an outs- so an outsider in the in the outsider world. Wow. Mm-hmm. Never thought about that. Mm. So okay. This is interesting. So we an interesting conversation. I think it might make a good podcast on its own. It could. <laughs> hey, wait. Why don't we record that, Derek? <laughs> Actually, I think we sure. are recording that. Um, <laughs> so we we mentioned the movie, but we haven't talked about the movie, which is okay because I think I'm I'm looking at record time. We're night, almost twenty minutes in, and we haven't touched the movie yet. But we've had yeah. a great conversation, and that, <laughs> and it has been awesome. And I appreciate you guys, you know, being patient with us on this. But let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about Death Drop Orgis. Give us a little. Okay. Uh, yes, let's. If I need to. Spoiler alert. Believe it or not, that was my daughter when she was like <laughs> two or three. That's adorable. And she's about to turn 12. Wait. So that. Do you ever, do you ever use that on the podcast with her? I do. That's when, when we do spoilers, <laughs> that's the one she wants to use. She likes using her. Really? Yeah. I thought she would hate that. No, she loves using her. Uh, I want to say she was maybe three or four because 2012. She's born in 09. Yeah. So she was either three or four that time. So tell us a little bit about Death Drop Gorgeous. Chris? Um, um, so the, some, like the plot of our movie, um, it takes place in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, and basically um, our Which main I love character. That. Yep. And so um, this is all shot in Providence. All of the drag queens, all of the actors were all local. Most of the music included in the film was actually from local um, Providence artists, with oh, the exception sweet. of a, a bunch of cool <laughs> artists from New York who threw down for us. But um, basically, um, our main character, um, Dwayne, arrives back on the scene and is looking for a job at the old bar that he used to work in. Uh, While he's um, kind of trying to get back into the scene, um, you're following the storyline of a bunch of competing drag queens who are also um, working at that bar. Shortly after, um, all of these gay men uh, who use this dating app, um, similar to Scruff or Grinder, we call it Pounder in the movie, all of them uh, who are using this app are being lured to their death and being uh, drained of blood. Um, so the whole movie are kind of following our characters and also uh, trying to figure out what exactly is this uh, serial killer up to. And when we, when you say grinder, well, yeah, there's one scene where <laughs> grinder becomes a literal meaning. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, okay, they went that far, and and that was that that scene. I love that scene. I yeah, was, that was one of those. I did not, I did not see that one coming. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. That's right. Neither did he. <laughs> and and Derek will warn you. I, I'm quick on puns, um, but not good puns. But you know, puns. Derek, <laughs> Derek, Derek. Um, <laughs> the but that that was a great way to, to kill someone. Thank I mean, you, you always see you always see. Oh, it's the meat grinder is used after the fact, but rarely ever for the fact. <laughs> True. That so was we, that we was definitely a new one, which is good. Um, that is a scene that we. Uh, that's a scene that we like. Definitely planned early, early on, and we definitely wanted to be remembered as the movie with the meat grinder. Um, so many, so many of the kills in our movie, like um, 
our whole crew, there's uh, five of us who are like um, really the core creators of the film. Uh, we're, we're very passionate about specifically like 80s slasher um, movies, uh, specifically the kills. The kills of those movies are so memorable that you want to rewatch them. Uh, oftentimes like 80s, like bad slashers, it's like you didn't come back for the plot. You didn't come back for like the romance, but you did come back to watch those kills again. And uh, that's really we wanted to pay homage to a lot of the horror that has inspired us. I'm going to rephrase Nightmare on Elm Street because of the you know Halloween. It was the same kill pretty much the knife. Nightmare on Elm Street, the whole friend, you know, it the whole franchise because there was so many variety of kills with Freddy. Meets Priscilla, <laughs> Queen of the Desert, meets Thelma and Louise. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Um. So what? What made you guys decide to go this route with the film? Which route do you mean? I'm sorry. A, a horror film. Uh, oh. In, involving, you know, at this point in time, I'm not going to say, you know, in a queer film, the, the subjects are subjects. People die. Why right. Why a horror film instead of a blue comedy or, or you know, heartbreak romance? Oh. oh, we're lovers of horror. Like, that is uh, yeah. our team. Like, we, uh, <laughs> our production company is Monster Makeup. So, um we like to say we make nightmares come true. Um, and it's <laughs> like uh, a commitment to just the craft of horror. I think um, all of us are attracted to it. We've always consumed it. And uh, to answer your question, like we were just kind of sick of watching movies that were like, this could be better and it could have better characters and it could have a better storyline. And we decided that we were going to make the movie that we wanted to see. Um, and that just so happened to be funny and also like star a lot of our friends and people that we care about and, uh, <laughs> and, and be queer because our lives are queer. So like it ended up just, uh, being a fun way to like kind of uh, write a love letter to Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Outside of the meat grinder. <laughs> Favorite kill. Favorite kill outside of the meat grinder. Outside of the meat grinder. Favorite. I'm gonna kill. let you answer that question, Wayne, first. Um, <clears throat> I think my favorite kill outside of the meat grinder is probably going towards the end. The um. The little um, kind of basement scenario. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 Yeah. There's like kind of like that, a cool monologue that goes on before that happens, and that's probably. Um, I mean, it, it did have to get trimmed down, but that monologue was uh, was a lot longer, and I think was like really like really powerful. But that monologue leading into that kill, uh, I think, just makes it that much more impactful to me. Should we now just do that this? wasn't your favorite because you are in it. Um, uh, I'm I'm in that, but I don't think that's about I don't think that's about my character. <laughs> I think uh, I think my favorite kill outside of Meat Grinder is uh, the massage parlor scene, like that uh, one. I'm like like so proud of that. the special effects on that, like throat slit, are like something I love. Um, but like the music that um our friend uh Jem uh produced for like um shared with us to use for it really just like transforms the scene that like could have been a little like sticky 
but it ended up being like a little sad. Like the music just made the scene sadder to me. <laughs> We're gonna play a little ragtime doll while you get murdered. <laughs> I'll never listen to that song again the same um, no, I, I, I agree with you I, I think the music choices were great they all everything helped set the tone for, for the scenes that they were um, the movie's out now Yep. Um, so on September 10th, we uh, released on VOD. So you okay. can actually rent rent or buy the film on uh, Amazon Prime, um, iTunes. It's on a lot of the stream, major okay. streaming services. Um, and then if you go to our distributor's website, Dark Star, you can actually purchase the DVD, which has a lot of the extra special features as well as um, some of the uh, deleted scenes. Ah. Uh, and, how, and how many deleted scenes with the meat grinder? <laughs> just have to purchase the DVD to find out. Mike. All right. Um, so since the movie's been out a little over a month, how do you guys feel about spoilers? I think we're pretty good with spoilers. Yeah. Like, right. um, I'm also really curious who the... Um, like we're speaking to the Weeby Geek community, right? Like, yeah, do, yeah. do we think? Uh, um, I don't. I think uh, spoilers are fine. We can do that, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's more. It's more than two weeks. Definitely, well yeah. beyond forty-eight hours. It's a movie that's hard to describe anyway, so you're gonna have to just see it to understand what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So here, here's a major spoiler. Um, the end credits. Why did you choose the font and the color for them? <laughs> wow. Question out left field. Damn. Um, Ryan Miller. Uh, I'm just kidding. Fa- Ryan Miller sometimes fancies himself a graphic designer. Maybe he shouldn't. There we go. <laughs> There's some shade thrown. I think actually Mike uh, picked the font. Well, not, not me. Different Mike. Not you, no. Different Mike. Our Mike. Yeah. So, uh, we wanted something gross and loud, just like the movie. Right. I like that. That's good. I, I got to say, um, one thing I liked is, uh, I mean, there's a million different slasher films out there. We've all seen a bunch of them. After a while, they kind of tend to feel old and, you know, been there, done that. But the way you guys did this movie, it kind of feels like you put a fresh spin on it, which I liked a lot. Um, and the characters were just, uh, they were so fun. Well, I, so I, much fun. I think before Aww. show. Thank you. Or in, during pre-show, Chris and I were heading down this way. Yeah, kind of kind of backing up what you're saying, Derek. Yeah, <coughs> seen a lot of the old slasher horror films. But to be exposed to queer horror even though it's a lot of the same same tricks same type of kills it's the presentation's different and i think that's what makes it so refreshing thank you that's that's huge and it just gives a new new spin to it and like i said i was caught off guard but in a good way because it's it's not it's not like we've ever told october coast Here's the only type of films we want to get into because we've done westerns, we've done horror westerns, uh, we've done horror. Um, they gave us one that was set during uh, right 
during the pandemic that was a pleasant surprise for us. Yeah, and that was a romantic film. That was a ro- yeah. So I mean, a lot of stuff. Th- so, you know, we've been open to to anything on the independent scene, and we've had a great appreciation. This is now given us, or given me, I can't speak for Derek, definitely a, a great appreciation of what's coming from from other realms that I would not normally be exposed to. Fuck yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I love it. So, or in genres that maybe I have been exposed to before, like we talked about with Hunger and just never knew it. <laughs> yeah, it- I was going to say, it, I mean, we're pretty unapologetically and again, very loudly queer. Like, it's definitely a forefront theme of like, literally every character in the movie is queer in some way. Um, written that way, not just acted. Um, so I think Rarely do you find that level of like uh, all in. Like you definitely have queer representation in a lot right, of right. movies. This is definitely like a, everything is drenched in gay stuff. <laughs> Was there ever a point where y- y'all went to either film a scene or when you were writing the scene, you had to stop and go, okay, maybe this is just too queer? We need to turn it back. <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> Probably the opposite. We're, we need to we need to ramp this up a bit more. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I want to hear. Well, with the main character like Gloria Hole, did it seem like we were like, let's tone it down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, just those dragons yeah. alone. <laughs> Speaking of which, I. I have to say my favorite <clears throat> one of my favorite characters in the movie was tragedy um just not that many lines in the movie but just, <laughs> just every time i saw a scene with tragedy and i was just like i want more <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, uh, i think that's the appeal of her being so mute yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a she's a gem. That that um, character is played by a, a dra- uh, her actual drag name is Complete Destruction. Um, and so when she read the <laughs> script, nice. we're like, we don't really need you to talk all that much, but could you pull some looks out? She's like, I think you're typecasting me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. You were brought in amazing. to play a drag queen. She was fun. <clears throat> I oh. think it was the the less she spoke, the more people wanted. Yeah, yeah, that's how I felt. <laughs> almost felt, I almost felt like a kindred spirit with uh, her attitude and everything. I was like, I get you. <laughs> that's awesome. Trying to okay, I'm sure I remember the character. It just trying to keep everyone in line. Tragedy. Is she the one that wore the yellow boots and did the funky dance? Or my, or no, that's, no, that, that, that's Gloria Hole. Okay, and it's yeah. like everyone's like even the drag queens are looking at her. Like, okay, <laughs> that whole that was the talent show sequence, right? For the, yeah, it's it's the mask for mask ball, and yeah. so Gloria is trying to reinvent herself to be more um, relatable to the young folks, and it goes <laughs> horribly awry. Mm. That whole sequence was, was one of my favorites. I didn't think it went that bad. <laughs> I mean, that song choice alone was. 
I, that was one of my favorite like thrown, sequences. Thrown up at the stage, and yeah, that was a good one. Now, what did you find while making the film that there was any tension amongst cast at any point, or? Um. Oddly, I would say it's the opposite. Like, um, one of the things that when we really talk about how this movie kind of kept growing and uh, it's weird to describe a movie as like a grassroots kind of uh, initiative. But um, the more people who read the script or saw some of the footage or saw what we were doing, they just kept wanting to um, participate and add. And um, I think... A lot of our characters, a lot of our um, folks who were in this movie really took a lot of pride in it themselves as like their project as well. Um, okay. So not just on like to like Miss America, like thank you all. Um, I, I honestly feel like it was definitely like a community event and people, a community project that people really um, okay. were invested in. So, so no diva-esque type moments at all. No, I think they just had fucking fun with it, to be honest. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Maybe this is the stereotype, but then again, it happens on the straight side as well. Sometimes you get some people who will feel they're better than others, and it becomes, there is some tension. times on the straight side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't like that at all. I think, if anything, it... um, uh, a, a lot of this, a good amount of the characters I didn't know. Uh, sorry, characters, uh, actors. Um, I didn't know that well before this. I knew of them. We were friendly in public, but I didn't know them that well. And now, eventually, it's like you know, we like it's to the point where we meet up on weekends and we all get together and do drag race and um, you know, <laughs> dinner, weddings. Like, so I think it brought us closer, and I think it just kind of made uh, kind of branched out to our community and made our community just a little bit closer. See, Wayne, this is what I'm saying when I said Death Drop Board just brings families together. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, we we've had we've had a, a bunch, you know, a few different independent film creators and actors on here, and it's always good to hear that everybody tends to get along really well, and and um, is kind of like a family when it's all done well yeah. it, it, I, I think that that's where the slight difference is between um independent films and and your your mainstream films is there, right. there's a pat everyone it, it's almost i'm gonna go sports here for a second uh it's almost like you know your major leagues as opposed to your minor leagues minor leagues there seems to be more of a passion not to say independent mm-hmm. films are minor leagues, but th- there's more passion behind the craft, it seems like. Whereas, you know, with, with your mainstream films, there's more ego behind the craft. Mm. Or oftentimes just like fat budgets, no editors, and basically just a marketing team that's running the whole thing. Like, I think a lot yeah. of the movies we consume right. are just... PR teams with really, really big budgets. And like yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. what you're getting at. That like, well, where where's the heart? Where's the story? Where's the grit? And uh yeah. it's, it's just not there. 
I think it's also um, the fact, like, you know, I think sometimes with, you know, big budgets and, um, you know, people throwing millions of dollars at making movies, I think a lot of it turns into a paycheck for these people. And this was more of a passion project for us, um, as well as the right. people that are part that participated in it. Wait, Wayne, we didn't pay you. <laughs> it's my contract said in my next lifetime. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> now, so go ahead, Derek. I was going to say, going back back to the different characters i have to say that they were um really well written because in addition to you know tragedy being one of my favorites i really really did not like janet fitness (laughs) (laughs) that seems to be uh everyone's consensus they don't like janet fitness but uh, that like the um, our um, Matthew Pitch who plays Janet Fitness is actually the complete opposite of that. He's like the sweetest, most like you know kind, fun loving, spiritual person. Um, so it's just it's odd to see. Um, it was it was odd to see him play that type that role, but nail it. Well, it lo- looks like he had a lot of fun with it. It's always the sweet ones, right? Like they're always like, <laughs> please let me be the villain, and you're like, all right. <laughs> You know, it's when they're face to face every day, and they're they're super they're super sweet, and super polite. There's just there's a hidden nastiness that they need to get out. You know, they don't want yeah. to get out on real people. So you know, it's like mm-hmm. going in the cooler and screaming out loud. That was that was his outlet, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> Pidge is a much better person than Wayne and I. <laughs> much. <better. laughs> I, told, I just kicked a kitten through an oscillating fan on my way in here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, we all have hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> now, ha- have y'all seen how y'all are doing um, on Rotten Tomatoes? Are y'all aware that you're on Rotten that. Tomatoes? I haven't checked in a week, but the last time I... S- I haven't checked in over a week, actually, but the last time I checked it, we were, weren't doing... T- weren't doing what we weren't doing as bad as we thought we would oh uh, we are 70% 70% with audience score of 62% they like us they really like us yeah <laughs> i will say very much kudos because films that we tend to or that i tend to use as scale on how well a film is there's two there's the 2015 fantastic 4 just oh. horrible. Oh. Yeah, that's a pretty rough one to even reference. <laughs> Bless your soul. Mm-hmm. You, you I, I'm just going to put out the warning now. Watch that one at your own risk because you may get COVID. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one in theaters. Sure. I'm sorry. Me too. I'm sorry. Me too. So, oh, Fantastic Four. Album, right? sorry, is that no, no, this is no, the one no, with no, Michael no, B. Jordan. The teen one. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this is where they just totally rechanged everything. Fantastic Four, nine percent with an audience score of eighteen percent. So, definitely way better, which I totally agree. Way better. The other one we judge it against, or I judge against, yeah, is Gem and the Holograms, which came out same oh, year. Yeah. And the reason why I judge that one, use that one, 
that one was only in the theaters for two weeks before two the weeks? studio pulled it. Yeah. The yeah. studio <laughs> pulled that one. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't think the music in that one was too bad, but um, yeah, that one it was two weeks before they actually paid to remove it from theaters. And that one has yeah. a, and that one has a Rotten Tomato score of twenty two percent, an audience score of forty percent. So fantastic! The twenty fifteen Fantastic Four is worse than a film that only lasted two weeks before it was yanked. <laughs> so that's that's the scale of how bad is a film. But and no, we're better than them. <laughs> yes, yeah, almost three times better than them. You, I'm at. I just pulled it up. We're actually doing better than Halloween Kills. Really? Yeah, we're doing oh, better wow. than Halloween Kills. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they obviously oh, no. have a lot more reviews, but <laughs> I'm supposed to care. watch that this weekend. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. <laughs> oh wow! I, I I've got it. We saw, for my, we for saw my it last podcast, night. So I can't get out of it. Did you? Yeah, we saw it last night. Uh, tomato uh, meter. I'm a f- is afraid to ask. <laughs> tomato meter is forty one percent. Audience score is seventy six percent. Okay, well, at this point, at least I'm watching it at home, so I'm not going. I'm not going to the theater. <laughs> well, at, at this point in oh, time, I mean, at least <laughs> at this point in time, it was a fun theatrical experience. But <laughs> so, so it, you're saying it's a rough film? Oh boy. Yes. I, I haven't seen it yet, so it, it definitely does I not. I see the fifth. I see the fifth. So Wayne, you're saying it definitely does not drop death gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, I, like I never want to come across as that. There's the people that are like, you know, oh, they made one independent film and they're judging everything. But I think, I mean, you you kind of love what you love and you enjoy what you yeah you no, enjoy what, you know right yeah and that just. I mean, like, I applaud them for trying and like oh, for for trying. That's horrible uh, for making it. Um, I love Jamie Lee Curtis, so I'm going to watch anything that she's in. Um, but I just sure. I, I was I was bummed out by that one. But I, I also have hope that we know that there's going to be a third one. So I think maybe they kind of subsided themselves for a really big blowout. True. OK, so, yeah, maybe since we're talking Halloween kills and let's talk Halloween franchise just a bit. How how do you feel with the last Halloween wiping out everything except for the very first film? Because for me, I thought, okay, Halloween, obviously, keeping that, everything else is timeline off of that. But I thought H2O was, was great. I enjoyed H2O. And, and fit the timeline perfectly. Yeah, I enjoyed H2O, and I, I thought, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in psychology at all, but I thought that her representation of PTSD in that one was a little better, was handled a little bit better than than, than Halloween 18. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm also not an expert in that, so, but I just I just thought it, it played on screen a little bit better. Okay. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean... I thought it with H2O, yes, getting rid of definitely Season of the Witches, which had nothing to do with Michael Myers. 
still loved that one, though. <laughs> I, I enjoy that one. As a standalone, I enjoy that one. Yeah. It, it should have been a standalone, not, not an actual sequel. I love, like, the just random druid robot magic that came out of nowhere. I was like, all right. I'm feeling you. That's yeah. this with Halloween. I was um I again I love horror movies, but like love Halloween one and two, and then like the um third one was just like a weird. I'm not actually really invested in the franchise, and I haven't really watched many of them because they just I would give me a Jason or a Freddy any day over the Michael Myers, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I used to love Freddy. The Nightmare on Elm Street movies were, were all, you know, because because they have like your movie, they have good humor as well as the you know the horrors and stuff. That's how it it makes it more fun, I think. Yeah. I'm um, just looking at the time. Um, I was curious if there was any other um, more death drop gorgeous things that you had at questions um, for by chance because I do actually have to get going soon. The way you're set up, the ending, is there going to be a sequel? We, we surprisingly were not uh, expecting that question as much as that we're getting. And if I was to quote Mike Ahern, which is our, uh, he's kind of our lead writer on projects. He's like, if a rich sugar daddy hears this and says, yes, I will fund a second death drop gorgeous. We'll write it. We'll write it any day. <laughs> <laughs> if you know anyone, I know you said you work for Disney. <sighs> not not in that aspect. <laughs> yeah, low on the totem pole though. Very low. Oh. You sure you don't want Gloria as a Disney princess? <laughs> Ooh. Tragedy. Which version though? <laughs> Tragedy. Wait, Janet Fitness. Di- the right price, you can have them both. Don't, don't we kind of already with Cinderella's stepsisters and her stepmom? Uh, wouldn't that be an interesting spin? Um, <laughs> yeah, it would. Was there was there a moment in the film that or a scene that y'all really wanted to do and it just didn't work out and you couldn't do it? Wayne. Um, I, there were, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to be thrown through some plate glass, <laughs> ah. but you know, we didn't, we obviously didn't, we didn't have the budget for that. And it, uh, it just, it didn't fit in the script anywhere at all. I mean, we probably could have reworked it, I guess to happen, but, uh, no, I wanted to be thrown through a window at some point, but I got my fill with a lot of the, uh, synthetic glass. And, um, a fun fact about our film was it was like, twice as long as even what is the final cut of it. So we actually had to get rid of a lot of footage. Um, Yeah. uh, Unfortunately, what you miss out is a lot of Wayne and I just talking for hours on end. So uh, if if you wanted more of my character's personality, we had to like shave off like 30 minutes of me. Um, So yeah, maybe I would have. Well, your character was fun. Oh, thank you. And uh, we had so many funny lines and like just scenes that just had to <laughs> they had to be trimmed off because of you know for a slasher everyone wants it to be an hour and twenty an hour and thirty and here we are like our original cut I think oh. was clocking two forty nine or something. <laughs> We're such asshole. Speaking of good, <laughs> speaking of good death scenes, 
That's all I'm going to say without spoiling anything. Oh, yes. That was a fun one. That actually was, um, most of our, um, most of the movie actually falls pretty damn close to the original scripted lines. Uh, that was, um, the way I die, my character dies, is definitely, that was like an added one while we were filming, which was a fun, a fun Oh, wow. I thought one of the more intriguing ones was uh, in the dressing room. Are are you not hearing me? You broke broke up a little bit. Uh, That's why Chris has got to go. He's in hiding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When the went back in the in the green room, was being smashed into the mirror, and and I'm like, and then left there, and the wig just pushed forward. I'm like, okay. That that's pretty intense. That that was one. I don't know if that's just sometimes dealing with an an actor who you know just pushes that edge. Like that's just something I want to do myself to a troublesome person. But I gotta be professional. So, so what was the hardest thing to film then? Meat grinder. Ooh. Too soft. Uh, we, we actually got to put, we partnered with Victoria Elizabeth Black, who is a drag queen um, uh, star. She competed in the show um, by the Boulet Brothers called Dragula. She was uh, the second runner-up, I believe, for that um, season. So we actually reached out to her and um, oh, wow. saw if she would like to participate in like um, to hire her for the special effects and death scenes and. Killed it. She nailed it. So a lot of the actual like super intense gore, um, we had like somebody who we, we were so happy to work with her, and so it was so fun to work with her. Uh, I think what That's was awesome. the what was I think um, some of the like bigger epic things that you can only do once though. Like um, I think the dynasty mm. fight scene towards the end with Wayne and like uh, uh, young Gloria that was. That was a long film day. That was, uh, yeah. and you only got to break those things once. I had a feeling. <laughs> let, yeah. let me let me yeah. pose this question. Um, I only bring it up because, you know, I am a member of IOTC myself. Now they're in Rhode Island as independents. Do y'all still have to use union labor for for crews, or are you able to get away without using union labor? I refuse to answer this without my lawyer present. That would be <laughs> a smart choice. Well, no. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't have lawyers either. <laughs> I mean, I don't reveal all our secrets. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I know. Everything I made, was done exactly as it should have been. Well, well no, I'm, I'm just curious because I was going to ask, how do you all feel about you know, I honestly about to strike and how's that, gonna, you know, and how's that affect you guys? I think the purpose of the strike and the unions, uh, coming together, um, that's awesome. And I'm always usually pro I'm pretty consistently pro union. Our projects, um, I think fall into a very different scheme of okay. the industry. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of the work we're doing right now uh, would fall under a very other category than okay. um, I think major industries and right, right, the right. conflict that those union workers are facing. Okay. 
see, like with us, <laughs> well, people ask it. I've been asked, so what are you going to do when, when you all strike? Well, with me being at Disney, we're under Service Trades Council, and with our contract with Disney, there is a no-strike clause. So we can't strike. But we wouldn't strike anyway because we're not under that contract that's being disputed. So that's why I was, I was curious, you know, do you all fall, fall under similar, under those contract guidelines? I mean, how, how does it work with the independency? Is it true independent? You don't use union labor at all, or is it you, you find yourself, you have to use some union labor, even though you are independent? Is that, Cause I've seen, I've seen union logos on projects and I've, seen other independent films where there are no union logos so our entire um staff and crew is composed of uh essentially five members um so we wear all of the hats for all of mm-hmm. the different um kind of structural staffing roles um working yeah. with our actors um i mean we have uh, all of our contracts that we wrote uh were very specific to the role um a lot of them were volunteer roles like okay. most of the film was actually comprised of a lot of volunteer and like in-kind donation and also just a general love of the art. <laughs> okay. yeah. no, no problem. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So to we get... didn't actually, we've never um, had union workers. Okay. No, that, that answers that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> learning experiences. Yeah. It's okay. all learning, learning stuff. Is there anything about the movie that you feel needs to be mentioned that we didn't mention? Or have we pretty much covered a lot? I think, or enough? It, I think in closing that like it really like what that question you've just like um, who we are and how did we become filmmakers in general? I think a lot of our philosophy has been about encouraging folks. Like if you have stories, you should tell them and with the amount of equipment that is available, like actually like professional grade equipment that is available, like iPhones, iPhones themselves can produce such quality imaging. Um, and there's so much software that you can download online and utilize for film editing, sound production, sound like, uh, like um, color, everything, all of it's out there. And that if you have enough tenacity, um, we think everyone, who should do that. Like, I think that's how you kind of compete with these larger um, monstrosities and actually start producing more independent work is that uh, get those tools out there and more independent projects will, you know, bubble up. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Derek, you got any final questions? Um, No questions. Just one comment. Uh, I did want to say kudos on getting Linnea Quigley. To uh, do a cameo appearance, that was awesome. She's great. One of my favorites. She's awesome. Where can people? And uh, again, uh, I enjoyed the film, and uh, I'm glad. I, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we got a chance to meet you guys and, and yeah. watch it. Yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you guys online? Ooh. Ooh. Don't say the um, dark webs. <clears throat> We do have uh, we do have social media. Uh, we have um, Death Rock Gorgeous has its own social media. It's on Instagram and uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook, Facebook, as well as Saint Drogo also has all three. Um, and then our production company Monster Makeup also has uh, all three. 
Um, I, Monster Makeup does a lot more, it seems, on Instagram, so that's probably the best place to catch us. Okay. Well, I am adding y'all on yeah. Twitter right now. There it is. Death Drop Gorgeous. Yeah, Death Drop talks a lot on Twitter, so. <laughs> she's, and then <laughs> y'all said it was Mad Monster? Uh, Monster, Monster makeup. makeup. Monster Makeup. Awesome. Wayne, what's your OnlyFans? <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> if you're gonna drop it, drop it right now. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually not on OnlyFans. I'm on Four Fans because I only have Four Fans. <laughs> <laughs> are they are they oscillating, sealing, <laughs> ionizing? Well, I just want to thank you guys too. Um, this has been a really incredibly insightful conversation. I think we've done a lot of interviews, but I really appreciate the amount of uh, kind of deep dives we went into just uh, queer art, queer culture, but also just like larger kind of movie industry philosophies. I think thank you for uh, giving us this platform. Oh, thank you. More yeah, than that was welcome. Fun. That was a good More conversation. Like I said, you know, and, we. Uh, I hope we didn't make too big of fools of ourselves <laughs> not at all did you watch the movie we made we're perfectly comfortable <laughs> yeah yes i did i, I think we yeah, yes i, did. I think actually i like watched it right before recording yeah. really? we're, we're all fools ourselves uh, yeah. i i will say hopefully i didn't come across or we didn't come across as ignorant or offensive in it in any way because that was never our intent it was always meant to be a learning experience. Nothing offensive about genuine, thoughtful like questions. And I think uh, yeah. um, the fact that our movie, like something so ridiculous about drag queens and like murder, uh, could inspire conversations where people uh, are a little bit more interested into learning about the people behind it. I think mm-hmm. I think we did our job then. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's the. I think that's the key thing that sometimes we miss in culture. It's conversation. It's a key word. Which, as long as you sit down and speak with each other, we're all human yes. at the end of the day. Sounds great. Well, go check out Death Drop Gorgeous on video on demand, on iTunes, wherever else you... Just search for it. You'll find it. Watch <laughs> it. You're not going to be disappointed. Um, and on that note, Derek, you got anything else? Uh, just one last thing. Since we were talking about him earlier, I just saw that Michael Caine is re- retiring from acting. And uh, I just want to say uh, it's well-earned, and good luck in your future endeavors, Mr. Caine. Caine. <laughs> As we're all saying, we're not worthy. <laughs> On that note... So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.